Hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode of The Darius Show. My name is Darius Cook, as always, and if you don't know what we do here, guys, basically, I watch a show, I talk about that show, you listen, and you enjoy. Today, we're talking about Amazon Prime's new series called The Wheel of Time. This is actually based off a book series written by Robert Jordan of the same name. It's 14 books long, so there's a lot of material to adapt here. And just off the bat, if I were to describe it, it would be somewhere between Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones. The genre here is fantasy, sci-fi, medieval. I know that's a crazy blend, but trust me, there's, there's some good stuff here. But without further ado, let's go ahead and cue the intro and get right into it. It's the Darius Show, y'all already know. Drop your booty to the floor, come give me some more. It's the Darius Show. So before we start breaking down the first three episodes of Wheel of Time, I want to give like a little bit of my personal history with the series coming into it. I've been really excited about this show coming out. I've actually been a really big fan of the book series for a while. Uh, I'm actually only on book five out of 14, so I know that doesn't seem impressive, but I have been with the series for a few years now. The books are really good. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of fantasy, so anything that has a big fantasy world always just draws me in. But I've been really excited to see this because, and skeptical, frankly, because what I knew already was that season one is going to be adapting books one and two. Of course, that has to be necessary if we're talking about 14 books to adapt here. So I'm not critical of that because I don't know any other way they would go about doing it. But that is, that is going to tell me that there's going to be a lot of changes made here and a lot of things to speed up the plot. And that definitely is what I see in these first few episodes. But before we really get into it, just to help you guys along here, because this show has a lot of lore, and I want to make sure that everyone knows what's happening. If you haven't seen the show already, this is kind of like your spoiler warning. I am going to be talking about the events that unfold in the, se in the season so far. That being said, I'm not going to spoil events that happen later on in the books, but I will highlight some key differences that the show is making from the books without spoiling anything down the line. But what is the Wheel of Time exactly? So the Wheel of Time is, it takes place in a medieval setting. The exact time and age in terms of technology is a little bit unclear. It's a bit of a mixed bag because this is a fantasy world. The power system that's used in this world is referred to as the One Power. Males and females are technically able to channel from the One Power, though in the current day of age where our story takes place, females are largely the only ones who can really do it. There's very few males who can do it. The reason being is because there is a breaking of the world that happened centuries prior to the events that unfold in our story that basically cut men off to be from using the one power in a safe way. So now whenever a man is able to channel, it, they're considered a major threat because it, they aren't able to do it in a stable way. And so uh, often the Aes Sedai, which are females who have been trained to channel the One Power, they will thwart out any males who uh, have the ability to channel just to avoid any risk. So let's go ahead and jump into episode one here. I'm not going to lie, of the first three episodes, episode one was the weakest for me. I was honestly left, I left that episode feeling really concerned for where the show is going to go because... That is where I saw a lot of glaring changes made, and it felt like they were rushing the plot too much. 
I did start to feel a lot better with episode two and three, so we'll get there when we do. But for episode one, as of now, the first thing I noticed going into it is that the landscape that they use for all the visuals for the show is really great. With, without even getting into any dialogue, just looking at the vast landscape. I'm assuming this was filled somewhere in Europe because it's, it's absolutely gorgeous. But they do infuse some clearly like CGI effects to show these different types of towns and different landscapes. But they infuse it with actual shots of mountainsides and whatnot. And it all comes together really well. I think it's a really well-realized version of the landscape that I pictured in my head while reading the books. So in this first episode, you're really just getting little snapshots into all of our various characters' lives. You meet Rand and Matt and Perrin and Egwene. These are our four characters that we're mainly going to be having our point of view alongside with. They're all young adults, somewhere between the age of like 16 and 20, let's say. And you're just starting to get to know these characters and their mannerisms and their relationships to one another. Uh, one of the big drama things that come into play in the first episode is between the relationship of Rand and Egwene. That's our first real big romance that we see uh, played with in the series. And Egwene essentially tells him that she wants to study to be a wisdom. Uh, each village kind of has their own wisdom who's in charge of making larger decisions, healing people, uh, basically your go-to person for problem solving, let's say. And part of becoming the village wisdom means that she cannot marry. So at a point for these characters in, in, the time of, in the time that the setting is taking place in, they would be thinking about getting married already. Uh, one of our main characters who is the same age as the rest of them is actually already married. So that's very much on the table. So for these characters to have a talk like this saying, hey, I've actually chosen to do this, I don't, I, which leaves me in a position where I can never marry. Uh, certainly these characters had already been considering marriage for each other within the relative uh, soon future for them. So that, that marks as a great big heartbreak in our first big drama piece that we're really playing with in the series. So I just wanted to note that because it will inform the characters' decisions moving forward. We are introduced to our character Matt as well, who basically serves as our comedic relief of our gang. He shows himself to be very capable and competent, but also a smooth talker and always quick to make a joke or a quip. Uh, he's defined by his relationship with his family more so than I've seen any character so far. And that's actually a bit of a departure from the books. His family is a major part of his motivation, but in the, in the series, they're playing it up a lot more as if his parents are really negligent towards their children. Uh, they might be drunk or on drugs. They're kind of depicted as junkies. And there's no one really to look out for his two younger sisters except for him. So he has a very protective maternal role to his sisters because he doesn't feel like his parents are able to be there for them. So a very, uh, I do actually, even though this is a fairly large departure from his character in the book, I think that it actually serves to elevate his character. Um, it doesn't betray anything that we know about Matt. It just adds a little bit more layers to his character. Uh, another character we're introduced to is Perrin. This is the character who I mentioned before is actually married. Uh, and that is another big twist in the book. He never had a wife, even at the beginning in the books. So that's a little bit different. But like I just said with Matt, I don't think that it does anything to betray his character. It adds, obviously, a very large plot and like origin story to who he is in, in that, tra basically, that he tragically loses his wife. 
um, he actually accidentally kills her while trying to defend her. Which, again, when you when you get, when you know the themes of these characters in the book, that is a different plot, but it doesn't betray who that character is, and it actually elevates the type of struggle that he deals with. So, so while jarring at first to see, I'm really okay with that change and those changes that they've made to our main characters so far. Another major character that is introduced is the current village wisdom. Her name is Nynaeve. She is going to be one of the main characters of the series. Uh, at this point, when we're introduced to her, she acts as a kind of maternal figure for Egwene because Egwene is basically going to be her student. And so uh, they're, they're very close. Egwene kind of looks up to her for guidance, and they, they bounce off each other a lot throughout the series. I hope you guys are taking notes here because we still have a lot more characters to highlight here. This show is nothing without uh, all of its characters and its expansive cast that's seemingly ever-growing, at least where I am in the books. But the next character that we get introduced to is actually a duo of characters, and that is in the form of Moraine and Lan. Moraine serves as our resident Aes Sedai. She is able to channel the one power. She knows more than everybody else does in the room at any given point. And you know she's capable of this great power, but you don't know if you can trust her. She's accompanied, of course, by her warder, uh, who goes by the name of Lan, a competent warrior who basically never loses a fight. These characters are connected in that they have a, uh, a spiritual bond, if you will. The, every Aes Sedai is bonded to their warder in a sense that they can tell what each other are thinking, uh, they feel each other's pain, and they're just always connected. So when we actually see them get to battle with each other a lot in the episode later on, uh, it's a great way that they show how these characters work with each other, like in tandem together. It's almost like a dance that they're doing. But along with her with her introduction, we basically get we we basically get told that she's here looking for a certain someone and she doesn't know specifically who it is but that person is essentially going to be the dragon reborn uh the dragon reborn is a prophecy that everyone is aware of the dragon is going to come back one day and he'll essentially be the one to take on the dark one and then break the world it's basically this ominous prediction that hangs over that looms over all of our characters uh that exist in this world as you know that might be a rumor that's probably just folklore or maybe that will happen one day but she seems convinced that that person is here in this village. She actually mentions that there's four Taviran in this village. Uh, Taviran is this world's word for basically being like important. If you're Taviran, it means that you have uh, a significant effect on how major events in the world will unfold. That might be uh, a bit of a small encapsulation of what it really means to be Taviran in the series, but it is kind of a vague concept as well, so I'm okay with leaving it there. This is another small change that I do want to note here, because this is one of the more jarring effects that I had watching this, is that we're getting a lot of the show from Moraine's perspective. And I do like that. I mean, she's an awesome character, so I like uh, having time to spend kind of in her head. However, in the book series, Moraine is treated much more as this uh, ethereal force that you never know what she's thinking. She has all the information, but won't give you any of the information. That is a still present aspect of her character in these first three episodes, but it is still a little bit jarring to get almost as much point of view from her as we would any other character. Um, it's just a little bit of an interesting choice. In the books, we do get her point of view, her point of view at times, but it's very far and few between. 
and it overall creates this mystery effect around her that I'm, I, I feel like we're losing out on just a little bit. But again, it doesn't betray the character. So all of our characters are gathered around the main center area of the village to celebrate Belltime, which is essentially a big, like think about a Thanksgiving big festival, you know? They're feasting, they're dancing, there's gonna be fireworks, the whole nine yards. Uh, this is a great, it's a great little slice of life moment to see how these characters do really love each other. This town is very wholesome and you can see that it's a community of people that really care about each other. But then it's quickly interrupted by the onslaught of murder that just comes right in through the building. Uh, this is our first glimpse at Trollocs. Trollocs, you've probably heard of before if you're into fantasy even a little bit. Uh, they're a common regarded thing, but they're basically trolls, they're monsters, they're hybrids between humans and animals, and they're essentially brainless, and they're just concerned about wreaking havoc and destroying, eating, and killing. Um, they're referred to in the series as uh, being uh, dark spawn. So the, the evil force that exists in the world basically controls them as their puppets to just send and do their bidding. And the bidding is usually just ravaging a bunch of houses and people. <laughs> My impression of the Trollocs is really strong. I was actually really curious how they were going to bring them to life from the books. The Trollocs are a very uh, present factor in the books, at least to the point where I'm at. They are around a decent bit, so I knew that the show was going to have to do a good job of presenting them on screen, considering that they were going to have to be on screen a lot. That is one that I was afraid would be really easy to mess up CGI-wise, but it seems like they went for a more practical effect with people in some types of suits that incorporate different animal body parts, essentially. So I do like how the Trollocs were portrayed. They were actually a lot more menacing on screen than I ever felt like they were in the books. They're terrifying, don't get me wrong, but seeing them run around and the imposing threat that they provide was actually really impressive to me and I was proper scared of them. The whole sequence of the Trolloc raid actually did feel like a horror film playing out. Of course, the people of this village don't take the, flight, the fight just lying down. They do band together and fight back and along with the help of Moraine, uh, the resident woman who can channel. She's an Aes Sedai, remember? Uh, she helps them basically get rid of all the Trollocs and survive the night. They're not met without, of course, a bunch of tragics, uh, a bunch of tragedies. A lot of people died here. Perrin, Perrin especially, uh, had to accidentally kill his wife while trying to defend her from the Trolloc raid. And so we see all these characters just, just coming back together after being traumatized after the events that unfold. And Moraine kind of gathers the the, the four kids that I mentioned before, Egwene, Rand, Matt, and Perrin. And she basically tells them, listen guys, you all need to get that heck out of here right now. All those Trollocs are after one of you four, and they're going to keep chasing you, so you might as well leave so it doesn't destroy all your friends and family. This happened a little quick for me. Everyone was a little too quick to believe it. <laughs> um, but yeah, she's basically just explaining to them that one of you is going to be the Dragon Reborn, which is like the craziest news that you can tell anyone in this world. And they're all, all just like, oh, well, okay, I guess we'll go with you now without any question whatsoever. This is one of the, de this is one of the departures from the book that I think really falters. I, it, it's probably just because it's hard to squeeze this all in, all into these episodes when you're, you're adapting this much material from books. But in the books, we really did have a lot more time for the characters to sit with that decision to really <clears throat> have to be convinced to leave. And they, they're not just quick to, they're not quick to accept what she's telling them, <clears throat> what she's telling them. 
I mean, this is an Aes Sedai. You don't know if you can trust Aes Sedai, and she's telling you to pack up and leave all your friends and family right now. After after you just saw Trollocs and learned that Trollocs were real for the first time and saw your loved ones getting murdered. I think that's a lot to take in, and they didn't give the characters enough time to sit with that before they had to keep moving. Again, I understand why they made this choice. It's just a little bit disappointing. That is where that episode leaves off. And before I wrap up my thoughts for episode one, a couple things I did just want to mention as well. They did uh, show the White Cloaks early on in the show. Uh, the White Cloaks is basically an overly religious group, is basically what it's de depicting. They go around seeking out evil to thwart. So their, their goals are rooted in a positive outcome. However, they, are, they end up being very power hungry, and that's shown in this first episode as they're burning an Aes Sedai <laughs> at the stake while the, the main white cloak, who seems like he's going to be one of our antagonistic threats, is just enjoying a gross delicacy food while doing it. He's depicted as being very just gross and sadistic, and I think that him as an actor is going to elevate that role for the white cloaks as being like a major threat, which... Where, where I'm at in the books, they are a threat, but uh, they definitely don't seem as scary as depicted here, and I'm all for that. And if I were to have just one more critique, it would be that the actual way that they depict the channeling of the One Power is a little weak to me. I like the effects when they actually show things like fire and rock and lightning striking down. All of that looks really cool, but when Moraine is physically weaving the, the One Power around, it kind of looks like an airbender... The effects that they use for that just aren't super strong for me, and I'm hoping that that starts to translate a little bit better as we move forward. So jumping right into episode two, I actually appreciate that this episode seems to take its time a little bit more, and essentially all that's happening is the characters are traveling ahead. They're just moving forward. But in the in this slow time, you get to get more, more information revealed about the characters, and a little bit of their plot start to unfold. You see Rand getting snappy with Moraine, which is an excellent part from the books that I'm really happy they were able to incorporate here. Rand does not like being told what to do by Moraine. He does not trust her, and that is present here. She, he's very uh, he's very arguative with her and contrarian to the decisions that she makes. And then we start to get a little bit of nuggets of Perrin's plot as well. We see that he has a severe injury from the Trolloc raid, and... As he's kind of dealing with that, he finds himself in a somewhat of a dream hazy state, and uh, he sees these wolves coming for him. And these wolves stay fairly consistent with his, you know, around his character over the course of these next two episodes. The show hasn't said where that's going yet, or has not made it clear, so I'm not going to give that away. But it's nice to see that they are staying true to form with Parent's character. You know, he's seeing these wolves, so he doesn't know what's going on with them. They're not necessarily an antagonistic force, they're just present. So I like how they how they sprinkle in the wolf's presence with Perrin. That that's gonna I think that they're gonna pull that off really well. And we get to see Moraine killing it. Uh one thing I haven't mentioned yet is just that the casting is really on point for the show. I mean, none of these characters, none of the actors that they picked are necessarily how I pictured the characters in my head, but immediately once I see them on screen and interacting with each other, they fit the characters to a T. I'm really impressed how they were able to bring that all to life, honestly. Uh, specifically with Perrin, Rand, and Moraine, and I think the best casting might be Matt. I'm disappointed to hear that beside behind the scenes, the actor for Matt, uh, I believe, isn't going to be present for season two, which is 
really upsetting because I think he's doing some of the best work on the entire series right now. He brings a lot of range of emotion. He also brings that levity and humor really well. There's not another character who is really funny, at least not in these first couple episodes. And he does it without it feeling cheap because the circumstances are quite bleak. You know, we're, we're dealing with tragedy here, um, but he still finds a way to infuse a little bit of levity in there and it works really well. Moraine specifically, uh, played by Rosamund Pike, is doing a great job. I think that that's the hardest role for someone to have to pull off in the series because she is so integral to the plot. Uh, she, she is the main vehicle that keeps everything moving. She is the exposition dumper. She's the all-powerful one. Like she, Rosamund Pike has a, lot to do, has a lot of weight to carry, and she carries it well. If I were to critique her performance a little bit, it would be that she is maybe a bit too ethereal. There's times where she seems like she's literally an alien and can't even like function and communicate with people. And she just is like too, uh, too far back, if that makes sense, a little bit behind the curtain. But that's just in a couple moments, honestly, in all of her dialogue and her monologues that she delivers, she just kills it. I think she does a fantastic job. Uh, one scene I would like to highlight is when the, the Edmund Fielders, they're, they're on their horses and they start singing this song of just a random song to them that they grew up hearing. They don't know the actual context behind the song. And this is when Moraine sets up all this exposition that basically tells them where they came from, you know, uh, the origins of their town and how the, their forefathers essentially stood, stood one final stand against a, a, an army of Trollocs and did that so that way their future spawn would have a future, essentially. Uh, she, she delivers this, this monologue. It's a super long monologue and it has a lot of ups and downs. It's, and it's basically a great story. And I just think that Rosamund Pike did a killer job delivering that. That's one of the moments I remember strongly from the books as well. And I think that what happened in the show really elevated that moment in a, in a big way. In this episode, we're also uh, resolving that plot between Rand and Egwene. Uh, you know, they were recently lovers. Oh, that's another thing I do want to mention. They totally hook up, like full on S-E-X sex up in here, which is a little bit different from the books, at least... When you first are introduced to the characters in book one, it doesn't seem like sex is really on the table for these characters. They, I think that they're aged a little bit up for the series um, just to make the tone a little bit more serious and like, uh, you know, adult uh, for the audience they're trying to go for. But, but anyways, Rand and Egwene, they're basically being mature about it. You know, they're, Rand is kind of ignoring her for a little bit because he feels really hurt by this. Basically, she chose... Uh, the path of becoming a wisdom over any relationship that they might have. That being said, now that they fled the town, uh, that's not really on the table for her anymore. So there is a window there for them to potentially get together again. Um, and we'll, we'll see how that goes. That's going to be a will they, won't they, I'm sure. <laughs> One last thing I do want to highlight about this episode before I move on to episode three, because honestly, episode two doesn't have many of the major events. Episode three is where a lot more happens, um, aside from character work, of course. But uh, it's, it's a scene where Moraine is kind of explaining how the Aes Sedai operate. She's mainly explaining this to Egwene, and she's telling her how uh, an Aes Sedai never lies. We, we just say the truth that is there. Um, that is something that was certainly uh, consistent in the book. That is a major part of the Aes Sedai characters. Um, but that being said, it's, I, I really have to give credit to the show for really explaining this concept to me before. 
it is something that it is something that I understood before. But again, the show elevated this concept a little more and gave more context to it to see. And now I feel like I have a better grasp and understanding of how the I said I navigate, uh, you know, the the truths within their lives. Essentially, they create the narrative they want to without lying. And uh, yeah, they just elevated that for me. And now that's something I under I understand for those characters much stronger. That being said, I it's yet to be seen whether or not me understanding that as a viewer in a in a in a in a better way will that take away from the more ethereal uh mystery that we get from those characters. I'm not sure. So jumping into episode three, the first thing that we jump into is the reintroduction of Nynaeve's character. She was previously the village wisdom in Edmunds Field before the whole squad ran away. And uh, being the tenacious little devil she is, she actually catches back up with them to find her kids, essentially. These are people, she's not very, she's not much older than the characters in the cast, um, but she is a little bit older than them, and she's always had this authority role over them. So for her, this is like taking her kids away. So she fiercely catches back up and demands that Lan and Moraine show them where they are. Um, at this point, the characters have actually been split up due to events that happen at the end of episode two. Um, they essentially were in Shadar Logith, which is an infamous place in the books because of, uh, of, of the different plots that it sets up. Something to note as well is that Matt stole a dagger from Shadar Logith. Uh, so it's, a, it's a little revealing to his character that although he is a good guy and he's a good family man and he's very likable, he can be a little devious, you know, so he's definitely one to keep your eye out for. Now that the characters are all set up into different cells, we get to get more intimate development of the characters. I'm going to go over the three different cells that our group breaks up into in order from my least favorite to favorite. Um, and this is actually different from the books. I had a different order for this, but I'll start off with uh, Egwene and Perrin. I, one thing I like is how they show that they do have a strong friendship. I, I'm not sure if the show is trying to set up perhaps a love triangle where Perrin and Egwene might get together, and I'm just not sure if that's what they're setting up right now, or if they're just setting up that these people are so strongly bonded together that they can be this close without it necessarily being romantic. I'm hoping that it's the latter, but either way, the bond between these two characters is shown really well, and they do, they do, they do work fairly dynamically uh, as they're navigating uh, out on their own right now. The only the reason why I rated them the least interesting is just because in terms of events that are happening, there's just not that much happening for those characters right now. I do think in the next couple episodes, four and five is when we'll, we'll start to see that plot pick up for those two characters specifically. But at the moment, there's just not too much for them. Uh, next up is going to be Moraine, Lan, and Nynaeve. Now Nynaeve is with <laughs> Moraine and Lan, like I just said, and she... Seeing them play off each other is really good. She's such a fiery character, and Moraine and Lan are the gatekeepers to all this information and plot in the series. And so seeing them play off each other is always fun, uh, particularly Nynaeve and Lan. Uh, their dynamic is super interesting, and I'm excited to see how they continue to play that up moving forward. One thing we didn't get to see so much of was Moraine and Nynaeve. Now that's a character dynamic that is very strongly present in the books. Uh, we didn't get to see them play off each other too much because Moraine was kind of sidelined due to her injury for half of that whole episode. But uh, I, I do want to see where those characters in particular move, uh, do, where, where it goes for those characters moving forward. 
Uh, I'm hoping in the next episode that we st we still get a, at least one more episode of these characters all split up because it give it provides us the opportunity to really uh, grow with them and see what their character motivations are. And the last little cell we get is Rat and excuse me, Matt and Rand. I was gonna say Rat and Man. That is not correct. Uh, but the two of them basically make their way into a nearby village. Um, and there, this plot in the book wasn't as interesting to me. I actually felt like the plot was moving slow whenever we followed Matt and Rand. Um, but here in the show, I thought it was absolutely riveting. Uh, they go into the bar and they're immediately introduced to the barkeeper who basically seems to run like this whole town. She has a strong place in this town. Um, but she's really funny. She does a lot for the scene and driving the plot forward. But then immediately we're introduced to Tom Marilyn. And it was to this point, I actually forgot that Tom Marilyn had been lacking in, in the series so far. In the books, he's introduced in one of the early chapters and is present with them um, during the Trolloc attack and, and from that point forward. Um, so this is a change to introduce him a little bit after the fact and introduce him specifically to Matt and Rand. But again, uh, this is another change that I don't feel like betrays the characters too much. I'm actually in strong support of waiting to introduce him until when he when they did. This keeps him a little bit more mysterious, and frankly, episode one was too crowded anyway. So I, I think that it was a very solid move to introduce him a little bit down the road. We actually get to see him singing uh, a heart-wrenching, beautiful song, uh, which we do know that he sings in the books, but really getting to watch him do it on screen brings so much more life to the character of Tom Marilyn specifically. He is a gleeman, so he's basically, he goes town to town and puts on shows, entertains crowds for money. And he's damn good at it. He's also a competent fighter, as we will see a little bit later on as well. Um, but just, just seeing him off rip, I think he's going to be an excellent addition to the show. Just another example of how the casting on this show is just dynamite. Long story short, after... Rand and Matt get fairly close with the innkeeper who's running this whole bar place. Uh, we, we see her kind of corner Rand into a room all alone. And the, the chemistry between the, the two characters was actually just flying off of the screen. I, I didn't know who this character was. The twist that was coming actually caught me off guard because it is a little bit different than how a similar twist happens in the books. But I didn't expect this character to make the twist that she does at, right after they make me kind of fall in love with her. I was hoping that Rand was going to hook up with her, honestly. But right when that happened, she basically reveals that she's a dark friend. Uh, dark friends in this world can come in all shapes and sizes. They can come in the form of a Fade, a Trolloc, a monster, a demon, or just a random girl who, who tries to seduce you into your death. Um, it's, it's just a harsh reminder that these characters are not off the hook. It might feel like they're off the hook for a second, but they never are. These characters always have to keep... Uh, their wits about them because they never know who's trying to get them. Once the reveal happens and we learn that she is a dark friend, she quickly turns into one of the most menacing threats we've seen on this show so far. She has Rand's sword and she's essentially chasing him down the street and just ready to stab him. It leads to a really funny interaction that he has with Matt when Matt is just struggling to understand what's even happening but then quickly understand that there's a girl running after them with a sword so he falls in line and does what he needs to do. Uh, this leads to, I think, one of the most interesting things to come out of the series, uh, an aspect that I did not get in the books, which is making a case for working with the Dark One. To this point, we don't understand who the Dark One is or what his motivation is at all. 
that's something that we slowly started to get in the books, but I don't feel like it's all that clear. I think he's just basically uh, an evil force that wants everything to burn, you know? But in reality, she makes a ca- she makes a different case that's not so cut and dry. She's basically saying that the Dark One is going to give them salvation, and once they find the dragon, they can use the dragon to break the world and bring an end to all the suffering that's happening. Uh, in this world, I mean, much like our own world, is ravaged with tragedy everywhere they look. Even more so than our own world, uh, given the circumstances that they have, you know, a lot... A lot of the villages that we see are very low in money. It's, it's a very uh, tough place to live in, you know. And for, for her, she's seen people uh, struggle to survive and get by her whole life. So she wants to bring an end to it. And there is a little bit of glory involved there. She's saying, she is saying a lot of things along the lines of, oh, it'll be me who brought the dragon to the Dark One. It'll be me that they'll remember ages and ages from now. She, she, she turned into a very twisted person and really popped off the screen. Of course, it does come to a head, and right in the final moment, she actually gets a dagger thrown right at her. This is from Tom Marilyn. He kind of swoops in for the W there, and he basically, he overheard that whole conversation, which tells us that Tom Marilyn knows more than he should. (laughs) It's definitely not his first run-in with Dark Friends, let's say. And the three of them, Tom Marilyn, uh, Rand, and Matt, make it off and... And make it out of that situation just in time. I'm really excited to see where this trio goes. They were definitely one of the most enticing trio subgroups that we get in the books. So I really am excited to see what happens there in the next episode. And right before the episode ends, we get a teaser of Loghain, who seems to be a male channeler that was teased a little bit earlier in the series here. I'm very curious to see where this goes, at least where I'm at in the books. I haven't gotten too much with this character, especially not in the way that they're showing right now. So I'm very interested. He's a character I don't know much about, and I'm cautiously optimistic because I'm hoping I don't get any spoilers here, which is just motivation to jump ahead in the book. So we'll see where that goes. All in all, guys, that is going to bring our episode to a close. If you haven't realized already, I am in love with this series, and I'm really excited to see where the rest of it goes. You can count on me breaking down the rest of episodes in chunks. You can look forward to the next episode. I actually will have a surprise special guest, so that'll be... A, a first for me on this platform. If you if you are listening to it all the way at the end here, I thank you so much for giving me a shot. And of course, let me know if you have any feedback. You can email me at thedshow at gmail.com. That's T-H-E-D-S-H-O-W at gmail.com. Thank you so much, and I love you.